1: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and people who don't identify as either, you are listening to Ratchet and Respectable with Demetria L. Lucas. Oh my gosh, I am recording this episode with tears in my eyes. Happy tears. I'm really, really happy about some news that I just heard, but I can't leave the episode with that news because it will throw off the format of the episode. So we'll get to it. But just know that I am recording this episode on Tuesday morning around 9.45 a.m. instead of Monday. Are we we being honest? I went to Vegas on a last-minute trip this weekend to catch the Dave Chappelle show. And I haven't been drinking for like the last week or so. I said I was going to do like a two-week hiatus leading up to my birthday and my Odyssey trip. But when I was in Vegas, I ran into some friends. They're my girls that I, I grew up with in New York in my 20s and 30s. And so, you know, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. You know, I don't really party or go out or anything like that. But I went to the, um, the Dave Chappelle show, which was absolutely wonderful. My friend was able to get me a last minute ticket with a really, really, really good seat. So I drove over to Vegas because tickets were round trip for $800. And I was like, go fuck yourselves. But it's only a four-hour drive. And I used to drive from New York to D.C. like all the time. So four hours is like nothing to me. And and the drive to Vegas is significantly easier and much more beautiful. There are gorgeous mountains to look at for the entire ride. So got a cute hotel in Vegas and went to stay overnight. Went to the Chappelle Show, which um, I'm a huge Dave Chappelle fan. I recognize that he is very problematic in some areas. I think he is a smart and funny comedian despite some of his blind spots and I don't even know if they're blind spots I think they're spots he just doesn't give a fuck about fixing for the reasons that he does but his new show I'm going to assume that the material that was in this show for Vegas is probably going to be part of another Netflix special that Dave is doing Dave Chappelle's last comedy special, last couple comedy specials, have gotten a lot of flack for his commentary on the LGBTQ community. He calls them the alphabet. Women, the transgender community specifically. Dave has heard all of your complaints and completely does not give a fuck. He went harder than even before. So if you thought that um, that he was sexist or bigoted or phobic about you know any of the previously mentioned groups before he triples down on on all of that. There was a lot of uncomfortable laughter during the show. I'm not easily offended, and again, I'm a Dave Chappelle fan. But some of the stuff I was like, "Oh, Dave, 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 Dave." Like I just said, I believe that this was recorded for a special. When it comes out. Folks from various communities are about to like team up and beat on this man like a rented mule. Like, it's going to be ugly. But a lot of it was funny. Like 70% of it. Some of it was, I was like, bruh, you wildin' right now. He grown-ass man. He knows what he's walking into, and he's choosing to walk into it. So, um, But it was a really good show. Like, my seats were in row E, and I shared the details of this the next morning um, after I got home at 4am, which is so very unlike me, but I got wasted in Vegas and I'm not the lassie that I used to be. So like I was hung over most of the day Sunday and not on some, my head hurts and I'm throwing up, but I just felt off and it takes me like two days to like fully recover. And I didn't even go hard. I didn't even drink hard liquor. It was just wine and champagne. I imagine mixing the two wasn't probably the greatest idea, but I was like, they're in the same family. You know, they're in the great family. Maybe that's not how chemistry works. But yeah, so yesterday I was just like off. Plus, I was on deadline for another project, a writing project, 2000 words on a really great, very black thing in black history. So I had to knock that out. I was already over deadline. I was like, this is, and I was like, we're moving into the space beyond writer procrastination into like, it feels disrespectful to the editor. So I was like, let me get this shit in before. This man picks up the phone and calls me. As a writer, like, the editor sends you an email first, like, hey, you know, just give me an update on the deadline. Because basically we know writers are going to be late because I've been an editor. And then you get the the text because, you know, you're friends with the editor and be like, hey, everything okay? Fuck. And if they call you, just understand that even if they don't use profanity, understand that they are cursing you out. So I was like, I'm not really trying to get cursed out. And I'm not trying to be disrespectful. So I was like, let me write this thing. And turn it in. And then I'll I'll do the podcast after. And then I ended up having to like finish booking my Odyssey trip. This situation with the airlines canceling all these flights. Like I'm super nervous because I need to be in certain cities at certain times. So I had to rearrange um, some of my trip. I had to change flights to very, very early in the morning in case the flight gets canceled. If I get bumped, so I have a greater likelihood of being able to get on another flight that same day and make it to my destination on time. So change the times and in some cases book earlier dates. So and then change the hotels, like it was a mess, but I think I've worked out everything. I am doing the podcast during my Odyssey. I've scheduled all the travel around the podcast. I'm not traveling on any Mondays or any Thursdays so I have time to record the podcast wherever I am like it's built into the schedule. So we'll be good. And I've also been banking interviews With some of my favorite people. There's some evergreen topics that I've wanted to discuss. So we have some really good experts coming on to chat with us. And I'm really looking forward to sharing those interviews with you. They're really, really good. But I'm saving them for the odyssey. Which begins Sunday. My birthday is the ninth. First flight is Sunday. I ain't packed a goddamn thing. I got my nails done in Vegas. I'm just leaving my hair out. I'm not getting it braided up. I ain't wax nothing, which I got to do because, like, wax is needed. Let's just leave it at that. I have so much to do before this trip happens. I have no idea how I'm going to get it all done, but it will get done. We have lots of good news this week. One thing happened that isn't so good. HBO announced that they won't be picking up a season two of Lovecraft Country. I loved that show. I thought it was so good. And I like Misha Green, the creator of the show. She also did Underground. She does these really smart, really black projects that examine the black experience. Underground only got two seasons. I thought Underground, when it was on, was the greatest show on television. I felt the same way about Lovecraft, too. But I guess her shows are, are too black or... Um, despite like the, the cult following, they're not getting the, um, the eyeballs necessarily that they need to keep going. I don't know. I don't know. But I was really disappointed to hear that Lovecraft wouldn't get a second season. And Misha shared her ideas for the second season of the show. And they were like, you know, pretty good. Like there were zombies involved, you know, because it's you know, a show about magic. Um, but the United States had been divided into like, you know, Native American territory in the West. And then the South seemed to be black people. And then the Northeast seemed to be white people. Because, you know, at the end of Lovecraft, black folks got magic. And so, you know, what do black people do with their magic? Create safe spaces for black people. That's what it looked like she had done with the show. I hope another network picks it up. Because I'd really like to know where she was going with this. She has one of those minds where you're just like, girl, where did you go and pull this from? How did this come to you? But thank God that it did. But I just want to know, like, you know, what was going on in Misha's head? Share the story, sis. All-American. You know I'm obsessed with All-American. I I like these teenage shows. I don't know why. Because I don't relate to the teenagers anymore. I relate to their parents. Or in the case of All-American yesterday, they're doing a spinoff with the Simone character where she is going to graduate from Beverly High. And she's going to go to an HBCU in the South, or at least on the East Coast. It was really, really, really good. It captured the feeling that I had. And you know, I went to like white schools all my life. The first time I went to an HBCU, I actually went on a college tour of HBCUs my junior year. And you know, like I knew HBCUs existed. Like my dad went to Jackson State. I wanna say I went to Hampton's Homecoming. But like when I went on that college tour and then going on Spellman's campus and, you know, it's like living in an Essence magazine. But it was the first time I saw, what's the quote? Um, Anna, what is her name? Anna Julia Cooper. When and where I enter, my whole race enters with me. It was the first time I'd heard of her. And it really just left an impact on me. I wanted to get it tattooed on my wrist for a really long time. But the sense of community in that. I never, um, I'd never, never experienced that. And I really, really wanted to go to an HBCU, but my parents like, you know, completely shut that down for various reasons. One of them is they didn't want me to go away to school. I was 16 when I graduated high school. I was going to be 17 my entire freshman year. And my parents just didn't want me that far from them, I think. So the deal was I could go to Maryland for a year or two. And if I wanted to transfer after that, I could Once I got there, I was like, I ain't going. Clearly, I'm a terrapin, so I graduated from Maryland. But I say all that to say, the pilot episode of All American for me captured that feeling of a black student who's gone to predominantly white schools, and that feeling of being on an HBCU campus, especially for homecoming when, like, you know, it's extra. It's like extra black, and you've got all the culture and all its various beauty displayed in multiple ways. But just that feeling of Comfort, acceptance, or seeing just a whole bunch of different kinds of black, like, all melded together. You got, like, tennis black, and you've got wobble black, and you've got fashion show black. It's a really beautiful, beautiful thing, but the show really captured that. And in particular, on the show, um, Simone goes to visit her aunt. Oh, my God, I'm, like, weeping, saying it again. I started crying when she came on screen last night. But Simone's aunt, oh, God, I'm crying now. Um, is a journalism professor at this HBCU. She's this brown journalism professor, and she's got all this big fluffy hair, c- similar to mine, and I just lost it, and I didn't even know why. Like, I, It took me a minute to like put it all together, but I went to J school at NYU. I didn't have any black professors. There were three and a half black girls in my program. There might have been maybe 50 students, But there were just three of us. NYU is not a black school. They have black students, absolutely. But it ain't a whole bunch of us. It was less than it was at the University of Maryland, which I think was 10 percent black. But it was also like 30,000 people at the school. So like 3000 black people were milling around. But still, unless I was in an African-American studies class, like sometimes I was the only black person in the class, especially when I got to like junior and senior year and was taking like advanced courses. And then even going back to high school, I didn't have any black teachers. The basketball coach was black. Coach Somerville. and he took special care of the black students at the school, but none of the teachers were black. I can remember all of my teachers going back to second grade, none of them were black women or black men, nobody was black. And so seeing this journalism professor with his big fluffy hair, she's not exactly my disposition, But I saw enough of me in her that I just completely lost it. I started crying as soon as she came on screen and like missed most of the episode because I was like just weeping. I'm fine, by the way. Like I'm a cancer. We like to cry. Cancers are emotional in general. I'm a little more heightened at the moment because of my birthday. But it was a really good episode. I thought it captured HBCUs pretty well. I didn't attend one, obviously. But like my whole inner circle... Went to Howard. I spent as much time at Howard as I did at University of Maryland. Like, I went to classes just for kicks because, you know, black people were teaching them. I would go to English classes with my best friend at Howard and would, like, pay attention, too. I wouldn't join the discussion because I thought that was a bit much. But I remember my friend's professor asking me once, like, who are you? And I was like, oh, I'm here with Marcy. And she was like, do you attend? I was like, no, I go to the University of Maryland and I don't have, oh, God, I'm crying again. I go to the University of Maryland and I don't have a black English professor. And she took a beat and was like, okay. And then carried on and never said a word about me coming to class again. Oh. This is all leading somewhere. I mean, even if this didn't happen this morning, because I started crying about it last night before this news broke. Okay. So this morning I wake up, eight o'clock on the West Coast, which is actually kinda late for me, because I usually operate on East Coast hours, but again, Vegas hangover. Okay. I wake up this morning bombarded with texts and DMs about Nicole Hannah Jones announcing that she was not going to accept the job at UNC. I cannot stop crying. And it's all happy tears. Don't worry about me. But she was not going to accept the job at UNC. And she was taking her talents. To Howard University. And I know on previous episodes. We talked about her. Not being offered tenure. From the UNC Board of Trustees. We talked in a previous episode. I guess last week. On June 30th. After all of the the national outcry. And other professors refusing to come to UNC. The J School in protest. All the negative press. it It was just a mess. The UNC Board of Trustees. On June 30th. The day before Nicole Hannah-Jones was slated to start. They decided to offer her the tenure that they should have given her in the first place. Every other person who has been offered this role, who has also been white, every other person who's been offered this role was given tenure without any of this bullshit. So I said last episode that it was her call. This is, this is her job. She got to work there and I respect whatever choice that she makes. UNC is her alma mater. I know how I feel about the University of Maryland. I know how I feel about NYU. There's a sense of accomplishment, almost like um, a stamp of approval, if that makes sense. And and I'm just speaking for me. I don't know if this is how Nicole Hannah-Jones feels. But there is something to be said about getting the stamp of approval from your alma mater. Like the place that trained you, where you started to like develop your adult sense of self. To go back there, having accomplished something, it means a little something more than it might at another university. So I understood why she might still consider UNC after all the bullshit. And I said, I support whatever she chooses to do. She says UNC, that's great. And if she also tells UNC to kiss her whole black ass, I, I also understand that as well. And I was like, you know, me being who I am, I would like to tell them to go fuck themselves. But, you know, whatever she chooses to do, that's her choice. But I woke up this morning to news that essentially she told UNC to go fuck themselves. And I was elated because I was like, yo, this, the bullshit they put her through, I suspect that it would not have ended if she took the job. The message she would have been sending isn't that she would cause a ruckus, it's that she'll endure some bullshit. And I think they just would have served her more. But she went on CBS this morning. She was so pretty in her pink, but she told Gail that she would be taking her talents to Howard University instead. And in so many very diplomatic words, she told Gail, It's not my job to heal the University of North Carolina. That's the job of the people in power who created the situation in the first place. She went on to say, obviously, that she was honored to be joining Howard University. She will be the night chair in race and journalism starting this summer. And she said one of her few regrets is that she did not attend Howard as an undergraduate. Me too, sis. And she says, quote, coming here to teach fulfills a dream I have long carried. Tears, more tears. Jesus. I'm happy for her. I'm happy for her. Because Howard's a good look. Somebody in my comments the other day, we were talking about the Felicia Rashad mess and Howard. And somebody was like, I don't understand like, why all this attention for like the small black university in D.C. And I was like, really? Is that what Howard is reduced to? A small black university in D.C.? It's an accurate description, but it's also like, M-F-H-U. Maybe because I'm from D.C. and I have so many friends who went to Howard. And so, like, I see the far-reaching impact of Howard. You go anywhere in the world and if you run into five black people, one of them went to Howard. Like, it's just, that's just how it is. The influence of Howard University, even before Kamala Harris was, you know, in the White House, the magnitude of the reach of that university is, I don't, I don't even know how to quantify it. Like, it's Howard. It is a small black college in DC, but the impact that the stu- but the impact of Howard on the world, I don't know any other place compares to it. Someone from Hampton is listening right now and being like, I mean, Hampton compares. <laughs> I have no dog in the I have no dog in the real H U fight, but you know, I side where I side. All my friends went to Howard, what do you want? I still need to go to birthday parties and cookouts and baby showers. Like I have to side with Howard. It just it just has to happen. Oh, and in another revelation, on the same day we learned that Nicole Hannah-Jones will be going to Howard, we also learned the Ta-Nehisi Coates <laughs> will also be joining Howard. He's a well-known journalist. I started reading his work years ago at The Atlantic, but he's also written a couple of really well-received books. Between the World and Me is the one that put him on the map in a big way outside of journalism circles. And then his first book of fiction, The Water Dancer, also a New York Times bestseller. Um, I believe it was an Oprah book club pick, but he's like big, big. Like as far as writers go, Baldwin is Baldwin. I don't think you should compare anyone to Baldwin, but he often gets compared to Baldwin like big, big, but he'll also be joining the staff at Howard University. He will be a writer in residence in the university's College of Arts and Sciences, and he will hold the Sterling Brown chair in the English department. He said in an interview that he plans to teach a class in creative writing next year. Coates um, attended Howard University. He started attending in 1993. He also said that while he's at Howard, he plans to finish his bachelor's degree. One of the greatest writers of our generation doesn't have a degree. (laughs) Black people are amazing. And despite, you know, being one of the greatest authors and journalists of our time, he says he doesn't know what he's going to get his bachelor's degree in. But he does plan to learn more about math, science, and economics. <laughs> I'm so happy. Can you hear the joy in my voice? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm goo gobs happy right now. I'm happy that these two amazing, talented, and prolific black folks are taking their talents to an HBCU. I think it sends an amazing message about the importance of HBCUs, the necessity of HBCUs. But specifically for Nicole Hannah-Jones, I love the message that it sends to black women about knowing your worth. Uh, in the interview on CBS, Gail specifically asked her, and I'm paraphrasing, but Gail said, you know, you said earlier this year that if you got tenure, then you would accept the job because that's all you wanted. You wanted the job, you wanted the job with tenure, and you would take it. And Jones explained, she's like, yeah, I said that. And then like, you know, they put me through all this BS. And so I decided to do something else. You do have the right to change your mind. You do have the right to decide that, you know what, because I put up with this for however long I did, it doesn't mean I have to continue to. Because I said I was going to do something and then realized down the road that it wasn't in my best interest, I can change my mind and decide I want to do something else that is. You don't have to be beholden to what Lawrence Hill likes to refer to as the demands of bad decisions. You can change your goddamn mind and go seek better treatment and better work. <sighs> this story gives me life. I feel like there's a battery in my back right now. I'm, I'm so proud of Nicole Hannah-Jones. I said I would stand by her if she decided to go. And I would. I absolutely would. Because she was in the middle of a national conversation. I know I'm just one voice. I didn't want to add to the pressure that she might be feeling as a black woman. I know it was a hard decision either way. So I was going to support. But I'm really, 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 really glad that she said, fuck you. Ah! I'm elated right now. Absolutely elated.
0: Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's ANGI.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better and dating safer. They've changed so you don't have to. Download the new bumble
1: now.: Quick update on Felicia Rashad before we get into some bullshit. We know that she supported Cosby in a statement on Twitter. We know that she released a follow-up statement backing away. We know that Howard released a statement throwing her under the bus. We knew that people, students and parents had begun calling for her resignation as the new dean of the College of Fine Arts at Howard University. She has since started her job at Howard and she sent a statement specifically to students and their parents. It was a good statement. I don't have the whole thing. I just have a few quotes. She wrote, quote, my remarks were in no way directed towards survivors of sexual assault. I vehemently oppose sexual violence, find no excuse for such behavior. And I know that Howard University has a zero tolerance policy toward interpersonal violence. She said she plans to engage in active listening and participate in trainings to not only reinforce university protocol and conduct, but also to learn how I can become a stronger ally to sexual assault survivors and everyone who has suffered at the hands of an abuser. So it looks like Howard's going to keep her, which I said before, I lean with the students. The students of HU say she got to go, then she goes. The students say she stays, she stays that's that um stephanie mills for reasons i don't understand jumped into this this dumpster fire of controversy to support felicia rashad who's one of her friends she said if if howard university had any issues with felicia rashad and what she said then they should give back the millions of dollars that cosby has donated to the university yeah let me tell you something about taking folks money did the check clear did the chat clear? I'm real, um, what's the, what's the man's name? Clay Davis. She, there's a line in the wire. Because really, I can find a line in the wire to apply to almost any life scenario. Like, I excel in this. And in fact, if you haven't watched the wire, you probably miss a good 30% of the illusions that I make. I constantly reference that show. It's the greatest show ever made. That's it. There's a line in the wire where Clay Davis says, I'll take anybody's money if they're giving it away. The reference was actually to accepting drug money, which illegal money is still legal tender. I'm just I'm just saying folks love to have this moral high ground sometimes and make these great sacrifices, sometimes for performative morality. But in terms of this Cosby money, did that check clear? Oh, Okay, then that's Howard's money now. You can absolutely spend the money and also say, fuck you. You absolutely can. I don't understand why you think you can't. Your lawyers will tell you that you can. So do it. Accept the money. Thank him for the money. And in the same statement, be like, we do not condone sexual predators. We will be using this good necessary and legal tender money for good causes, even though it had bad beginnings. Y'all better not give a goddamn dime back. Check's too hard to come by to be giving them back. I'm sorry. I'm not sorry, shit. And you contractually ain't got to do nothing for it, but accept it? Girl bad. Before we get into this ESPN nonsense, I want to talk about Shikari. Last episode, right when I was recording, I had just learned about her suspension because she tested positive for marijuana. And I was 38 hot about it. This is my default of how I function when I'm upset. And I'm not sure that's the healthiest way to do, especially... Because I'm reacting like a parent to a child when I'm not a parent and towards someone who's not a child. Not my child and not a child at all. Shikari is 21 years old. She made a stupid decision. She did the Today Show. And I'm not sure if she said it there or she said it elsewhere. I don't know if she's done more than one interview. But she said that before the race where she qualified for the Olympics, she did an interview and she was informed by a reporter that her biological mother had passed away which is a horrible way to find out that your mom died. We've been talking a lot lately about sports journalists and the anxiety that black athletes might feel and why this is the type of shit and Naomi Osaka doesn't have this exact experience but like this is the type of thing I guess what's the word lack of care or consideration for people's feelings Just because you want the story or you want a clip or you want a quote to do that to someone. To not like double check to make sure that they know so you're not the bearer of bad news in a very casual way. That's important. But the news of her mother's passing and surely the way that she found out the news sent Shikari into a tailspin. Her version. um, And she was like I had to just I needed something and I just didn't know like what else. And so you know weed i'm not sure if she smoked it or she ingested it i've read conflicting stories about whether she smoked it or whether she ate it but she put weed in her body so she could get high it's legal in the state that she was in so she wasn't committing a crime however as an olympian i think for obvious reasons that don't really that shouldn't really need to be explained you can't ingest weed even though it's not a stimulant but as an olympian Um, weed is on the list of banned substances, which she knew she acknowledges that she knew she was in such a painful place that she did it anyway, which I think is a testament to how fucked up she was, um, emotionally that she would know that this could put everything in jeopardy. And she was just in such a bad place that she needed some relief, which I think, you know, most folks should be able to relate to. Now, I personally don't smoke weed, but I've had really bad days. Like the height of the pandemic, I was going through half a bottle of red a day. It's not weed, but it's a mind-altering substance. I couldn't go drive. Some people go out and fuck. Dudes tend to do that a lot in ways that they don't always make the connections for. Like, I've had a bad day. I feel less than and inadequate. I need to go climb on top of somebody's daughter or son or they. No judgment. All are welcome. You know, folks cope in all sorts of different ways. Some healthier than others. You know, I I absolutely do wish that Shikari had a better support system. I wish that somewhere along in her life she was taught better coping mechanisms so she wouldn't have had to rely on drugs in that moment but like many of us, self-included she wasn't. She didn't have those skills so she did what was available to her and it was a bad choice which she has owned. She's not trying to justify it. She was like, yeah, I did it. I was in a bad place. Like I knew what the consequences were and I did it anyway and that's that. She made a bad choice but I am one of those people that I think character is determined in times of adversity. And this is obviously a a time of adversity, but she's handled it in a very stand-up way. So whereas before I was proud of her physical accomplishments, I felt sympathy for her and I admired her relationship with her grandmother. In this moment of adversity, she's showing us who she is as a young woman. And she's good. She was raised well. So even though she's done something ungood, I'm still very proud of her for the way that she's handled it. She'll be okay. She is keeping her Nike contract, which I thought was very good of them. So much sports shit. And I'm not even like a sports fan like that. But there is a scandal coming out of ESPN, a year old scandal that the public just became privy to July 4th, Sunday. And I had no idea who either of these people were um, before this story broke. Because again, not a sports fan. Don't watch ESPN. But a year ago, Rachel Nichols, who was a host on the network, she was not chosen as the primary host on ESPN's broadcast of the NBA Finals. And Rachel is white. The woman it selected instead was Maria Taylor, who is black. And in a phone conversation that was unintentionally, it seems, recorded, she was speaking to a white man, Adam Mendelson who's an advisor to LeBron James, and she said, I wish Maria Taylor, the black girl, all the success in the world. If you need to give her more things to do because you are feeling pressure about your crappy longtime record on diversity, which, by the way, I know personally from the female side of it, like, go for it. Just find it somewhere else. You are not going to find it for me Or taking my thing away. So this call was recorded. And this is according to the New York Times. By a camera that Nichols had in her hotel room. That enabled her to appear on camera from the NBA bubble. She did not realize it seems that the conversation was being recorded. And uploaded to the ESPN servers. So someone at ESPN heard this audio. But This audio was on the servers. It got into the hands of a producer at ESPN, a black woman who then shared the recording with Maria Taylor. And this again happened a year ago. The black woman who shared the recording was suspended for two weeks without pay. She has since left the company. So again, all of this happened a year ago. There's been a contentious relationship between... Rachel Nichols, and Maria Taylor the entire time. Taylor, for obvious reasons, does not want to interact with Nichols anymore. Over the weekend, the New York Times publishes this story, and it goes public, and then it goes public so everyone knows about it. So, let me back up. What Nichols said is fucking awful. And it's because, at least on the surface, that she's dismissing This black woman having a job that she wanted or she had previously done and she's reducing it to diversity. The idea that this black woman could just simply be better seems unfathomable to her. Like she only could have possibly gotten this job because of diversity. I've since read that people consider the white woman an ally. Um, I can't find Anything that she said or done or people aren't giving me reference or, or I haven't heard any references of anything that she's, again, said or done that makes her sound like an ally. It It's seeming to me that she just happens to work with a bunch of black people and has managed not to say anything excessively dumb. I don't think you get called an ally for just not doing anything. Like, did you actively speak up? Are you actively working to be anti-racist? Ally. Just not doing anything dumb? Common sense? I'll give her that. There's also something else at play here, which is not getting the same amount of conversation, which I think is worth mentioning. ESPN, obviously, is a network dominated by men, mostly white men, but also black men, but men's space. In comparison to the number of men present, there are very few women. There is something about this situation that strikes me as a woman woman, battling another woman for a limited number of options in this space. There's very limited number of jobs for women in this space. And now women have to duke it out. And now women have to play the professional game of, um, what's the kids game where there's like one more person than there are chairs available. And you run around the chairs and you like sometimes have to knock the other person out of the way with your butt in order to get the seat and win the game. It seems like they're playing the adult version of that. So that's partially what I think is happening here, but also throw in a healthy dash of racism. Essentially what she's assuming is that Maria only got the job because she's black. And also she can't fathom that she could be as qualified or or even better qualified for the job because she's black. It's a sexist environment. And the white woman is activating her racism in response. As opposed to like rallying against ESPN, which is creating this situation with limited roles and resources for women, with limited roles and resources for women, this white woman is attacking, punching down essentially to the black woman who's double marginalized in this space. Like she's black and she's a woman in a white male space. Instead of identifying with Maria as a woman, Rachel chose to separate herself as a white person. Ugh. Also, I think what's lost in this conversation is everyone's talking about Rachel and Maria. The guy that Rachel is in conversation with, again, he works with LeBron James. Let me go find out what his actual description is again. He's a longtime advisor to James. In this same conversation, this guy laments that between Me Too and Black Lives Matter, he's just overwhelmed and frustrated. You're frustrated hearing about it. How do you think the people who actually have to live with it feel, dude? Why do people be so out of it? There's so many reactions to this. One of them is people are raging about Rachel disparaging her black colleague behind her back. And people are talking about it as if it's something unique. And I'm like, absolutely, by all means, like absolutely drag this white chick because she deserves it. But also... I want y'all to know, like, in the same way that last summer with with George Floyd, when white people realized that, like, systemic racism and police brutality and racism as a whole actually exists, and y'all wanted to take it to the streets, I just want y'all to acknowledge that, like, white women backstabbing black women in this way, being so treacherous in this way, assuming that black women are only getting good things because, because they're, because of some diversity or because of some affirmative action situation, very common. When I wrote about it on social media yesterday and I just fired off a little screed because, again, I was on deadline, I was like, yo, this is some 40-degree day shit. Like, ask any black woman who has existed in a white space, but particularly school or work, and every single black woman will have a list of stories of white women's bullshit specifically related to thinking the black woman in her presence doesn't deserve to be there or doesn't deserve to have nice things and if she got them then it's only because she's black it can't be because of qualifications it can't be because she earned it it can't be certainly because she was better at anything but she's only there because she's black earlier in this conversation we talked about how i'd gone to white schools all my life I got stories for days about white women and their passive-aggressive bullshit. Any black woman, again, can give you a long list of stories. So while you're dragging old girl because she deserves to be dragged, just understand that she's common. She's common. And the experience that dear Maria Taylor is having because of this white woman questioning her abilities and it becoming public, like... Every black woman in a white space got some version of that story. Stories. Their reactions to um, Rachel Nichols and this recording have been very interesting. I mean, there is a dragging occurring. Absolutely. Which please continue. I'm enjoying it. But someone shared a, um, a screenshot with me. Someone, a woman had posted on Twitter. She was like, I swear Rachel Nichols perfume must be watermelon with notes of Hennessy. The way black men are stumbling to defend her. Rachel Nichols has been a sports reporter for quite some time. She is well-known among athletes. She is, a prominent, she is a prominent host on a prominent show. The most vocal black guy I've seen defending her is Steven Jackson. We've talked about Mr. Jackson several times on this show. Steven Jackson first popped on my radar about a year and a half ago. He released a video... Mr. Jackson is in his 40s. He has multiple children by multiple women, six or seven children. Um, And he was telling young black men to find one woman and have their children with that woman and stay with that woman so that they didn't have to spread their money, time, finances across multiple households, which I thought was great information. He then went on to say in the video... About the poor relationships that he had with at least two of his children's mothers. And he said something like, one of them, he wished he had never met her. And then he said, um, black women, bitter black women, are worse for black men than the police. Oh, we're worse than the people who are gunning down black men left and right? Really? Really? Black women are worse than Derek Chauvin? Black women are worse than a mofo who kneels on a black man's neck for nine minutes. Remember we thought it was like eight minutes and something and it turned out to be nine. Like black women are worse than this. But Steven Jackson makes this video in support of Rachel about how like we're not canceling her. We're not getting rid of her language along that lines. And people are like, nigga, what? And to which I'm like to them, nigga, why are you surprised? The type of dude that actually gets on camera in any capacity, in any context, and says black women are worse for black men than the actual fucking police. I don't expect that dude to ever stand up for black women in any significant way. So like, yeah, they're like, oh my God, Steven Jackson is saying this crazy shit. Steven Jackson is always saying crazy shit. At least he's consistent. I will give Mr. Jackson that. Mr. Jackson is consistent. Consistent fuckery, but it's consistent. he isn't the only one. I saw Rachel was on some show. She was sitting to the left and it was two black men sitting to her right. And she said, um, she said something about, you know, as a journalist, the first thing we're taught is not to make ourselves the center of the story. And I won't do that today. But she said she wanted to apologize to Maria Taylor for this whole incident, which I was like, it's been a year. This whole shit happened a year ago, and Maria Taylor has known about it for a fucking year. You're not apologizing to Maria because you are actually sorry. You're performing for the cameras because you're you're getting dragged on the internet. But are you sorry to Maria? You're not sorry. And then she said in another interview, she was like, you know, I've tried to apologize to Maria multiple times, but Maria hasn't responded. She won't accept my calls or my texts. Well, duh. She did say that, you know, Maria doesn't have to accept her apologies or anything like that, which I, I did appreciate. Let me give her that like 1%. So she says, I'm sorry. And these two black guys then vouch for her. You know, I've worked with you, Rachel, and I know you to be a good person. And I've never heard you say things like this. I've heard you say, and I've seen you do. And I was like, why do you have these black men here being used to absolve this white chick who disparaged a black woman? And I do mean disparage, in, in the very Webster's dictionary sense as then you treated her as if she was less than you. They're only giving her the job because they're trying to meet a diversity quota. Not possibly because she's better than you. Not possibly. Couldn't fathom that at all. But now you have these black guys absolving you so you don't look as bad from the harm that you've caused to this black woman. And they're mentioning the black woman who's actually being victimized in this situation not a victim but being victimized but they're minimizing what's happened to her and they're decentering her to make this white woman and this network full of white male executives feel better about how they handled this terrible situation with this black woman who also by the way is in the middle of contract negotiations with the network. Which is what everyone sort of is implying is how this tape came to leak. She's in contract negotiations. Things have been tense behind the scenes. ESPN apparently wasn't giving her what she was asking for. And then this tape suddenly finds its way to the New York Times. I don't know if that's going to help or if that's going to hurt. I do wish Maria Taylor the best though. And I do wish these black men would stop fucking falling all over themselves to absolve this white chick. She'll be okay. She's a white woman in America. White men will come and get her. For heaven's sake, she's married to Diane Sawyer's son. She's gonna be fine. Y'all rushing to protect this white chick? For what? So you can get dragged too? I have no idea why people just want to jump into shit that they have no business in. Felicia Rashad, Stephanie Mills, Stephen Jackson. Like, I know you work in sports, you have a podcast about sports, but, like, you really wanted to jump in to, like, defend a white chick? Was that really the best take that these black men can have right now? So that's the episode for today. There's so much other stuff I could talk about. Like, remember we talked about Britney Spears and that conservatorship and how she was trying to get out of it? She's going to have to stay in it a little longer. The judge ruled in her father's favor. I feel bad for her. I do. But again, she'll be all right. It's a blonde white woman in America. With millions. Maria Taylor? I'm concerned more about her. Will she be all right? I hope so. So that's the episode for this week. I am going on my odyssey. It starts on Sunday. Everything work-wise that has not been taken care of by Saturday night won't get done. Won't get done until I'm back. I'm doing the podcast and that's mostly it. So if you would like Don't Waste Your Pretty merch, if you would like a mug or a t-shirt, I had to steal from my own stash because I told you for like 10 days I'm wearing t-shirts and bikini bottoms and if I'm gonna wear somebody's shirts, it might as well be my own. So if you too would like a Don't Waste Your Pretty tee, they are still available on the website. If you order them before Saturday, so like Friday or before, your shirt will go out before I leave. Otherwise, it will have to go out when I return. You can order the shirts and other Don't Waste Your Pretty merch on DemetriaLLucas.com. If you'd like some ratchet and respectable in your life between now and Friday, my birthday, you can follow me on social media at Demetria L. Lucas. As always, thank you for listening to the episode. I greatly appreciate you. And we will talk again soon. Okay, bye.